0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. Now, this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you.
1: I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs!
0: Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris.
1: What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I am your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother, Wesley. (laughs) Today we are reviewing one of the scariest movies of all time, Event Horizon.
0: One of the scariest movies in your mind and in Kelly's mind of all time, Event Horizon.
1: Did Kelly survive?
0: She survived and then went back to like messing around on her phone or whatever. And I was like, well, and she was like, yeah, it's still scary. <laughs> but she has developed a thicker skin and she attributed it to my Halloween movie marathons. You're welcome, baby.
1: She has become desensitized to scary movies.
0: You have to understand, Event Horizon was Kelly's, like, second or third, maybe, horror movie.
1: of Like, in her life?
0: Yeah, and so it put her off horror movies pretty much indefinitely. As a matter of fact, her dating profile when I first met her said, I don't do scary movies.
1: And you didn't see that as a warning sign?
0: No, I saw it as a challenge. It's been seven years, and we've worked our way through pretty much every major horror movie of note in the last 30 years.
1: So did she like it?
0: I mean, does anybody like Event Horizon? Like, are you like, that was awesome? I mean, I have to worry. I I worry that the people, because this has gained a cult following, but no one puts that on their dating profile, right? I love Event Horizon.
1: Favorite movie, Event Horizon, (laughs) 1997.
0: Talk about a red flag.
1: (laughs) Uh, Sam Neill, hot off his Jurassic Park success. Well, a few years. Goes on to Event Horizon.
0: And I think Lawrence Fishburne, right off of Event Horizon, went to the Matrix set, pretty sure.
1: Oh, you know, going from Event Horizon to the Matrix is pro- perhaps less of a stretch. Yep. But Sam Neill gets tore up in Event Horizon. What is up with that?
0: It's odd because he is the first character. And because this is a scary movie or a haunted house movie or whatever, I guess that's not uncommon. But it seems like he was positioned to be the hero or to be the person who's not the professional, who's brought aboard, like positioned to be the Ripley character, you know, and then uh, not.
1: (laughs) No, distinctly not does he consciously choose to side with the Demonship when he steps back into the darkness?
0: Yeah, pretty early on when he, I don't know, I think it's retribution because the Demonship is now sentient. He was like, my creator. And then like you see the flash in his eyeball of the uh, core machine and uh, he gets taken over pretty quickly. This movie was actually marketed by the screenwriter. Uh, he said he wanted to set out to make basically a haunted house movie, but specifically The Shining in Space which makes Mm. Sam Neill's Weir, undoubtedly the Jack Torrance character.
1: Yeah, I can see that. And you're speaking of screenwriter Philip Eisner?
0: Yep, experienced some kind of tragedy in his family, wrote this screenplay as a response.
1: Um, Dr. Weir is definitely a tragic character. He's come from tragedy. We learn through his flashbacks that he lost his wife, who even prior to boarding the demon ship was already kind of haunting him.
0: Yeah, and uh, sees the pictures, but he seems like a normal, you know, put-together guy or whatever. And uh, it's not that there's anything wrong with him, but the ship apparently manifests, as I think Lawrence Fishburne said, your greatest terror or your worst fear.
1: In that sense, Dr. Weir was kind of primed and ready. Like, he was a great candidate to be taken over by the ship. Yeah. But Miller, Captain Miller... I wasn't sure if the person that he leaves behind in his unit and his military past, I wasn't sure if that was like a secret that he was harboring or if it was something that he had worked through on his own, but, you know, also hadn't shared with anyone. But um, it seems like those secrets and those past tragedies, the ship knows those things and uses against all all the humans.
0: We all got them, the demons. Yeah. If I were on Event Horizon, that squirrel would come after me with a slingshot.
1: Ooh. Did you murder a squirrel with a slingshot?
0: Yep. I was throwing bread. We were in Sequoia, and I was firing my slingshot at this group of squirrels. I was throwing the bread to them, and they were hovering around. I nailed one right in the head, and it gave a little shudder and, and keeled over dead. And I've been oh. racked with guilt for probably 40 years, buried him in a little oh. moss-lined grave. It's going to come for me. It's all going to come around.
1: Oh. <laughs> That's awful. You remember
0: in Kill Bill when uh, Bud said that woman deserves her revenge and we deserve to die? That squirrel, I owe it to that squirrel.
1: So when the squirrel comes for you, you'll be at peace with your fate.
0: I don't know if I won't be afraid or at peace because what's the point of revenge if uh, you don't see the person suffer?
1: You'll be like the dude, the Alfred Molina looking dude in Promising Young Woman.
0: Wasn't that Alfred Molina?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Was it?
0: Yes.
1: When the squ- <laughs> when the squirrel knocks on your door and you open it, you'll be like, Yeah, come in.
0: I've been waiting for you. Come in, <laughs> see my modern furniture.
1: You know, I've dodged or not dodged, like I've spared any number of squirrels in my um my daily commute. Yes, that like I think that I've kind of made up for the, the squirrel death. So um, so that was Miller's backstory. And it sounded like Peter's played by Kathleen Quinlan was she didn't have a secret or a tragedy that she was harboring per se, but she was kind of skipping out on her kid by going out on this mission or something
0: I know the kid was pretty messed up
1: well was that just for gross effect that her that he had like leprosy of the legs
0: not even not sure but it was even grosser I don't even know the circumstances behind his jacked up legs I do know that in an alternate cut one thing that they had to remove was the maggots on that little boy's legs who was not happy Ooh. about that at all neither were the viewing audience or the executives. And that, I think in test screenings or something, wherever they screened that, that was the most harshly reacted to scene. So they took that part out.
1: Well, we definitely get maggots or some kind of wormy-like bug in some of those, some of that scary archival.
0: But there's a difference between applying real maggots to a real little kid's legs and then, like, pulling away the blinds so that his his reaction is genuine (laughs) and then staging the hell scenes.
1: Oh, that's traumatic. Oh, that's why people were all up in arms. So you said The Shining in space, but isn't this just Alien with a horror bent?
0: Uh, It was actually more closely modeled on Alien. The authors or the writers, screenwriters' first iteration had tentacly alien types. And they were like, no, we want to make this more cerebral, more haunted house vibe. And the conflict comes from within, I guess. And it might have gone that more cerebral route had things been a little bit different in the execution of this movie. I mean, we get that there are terrors from their lives or whatever, but they come by way of loud noises are scary and terrible in your face CG. And so this movie rides that weird line of alien, which I guess, you know, is a creature feature for sure, but seems to me somehow to be more sophisticated horror. And this one felt like popcorn horror.
1: Well, they were definitely going for the sophisticated vibe. I mean, maybe it's just Sam Neill's accent. <laughs> He's just like the scary version of Dr. Alan Grant. Yep. Like all pseudoscience exposition and stuff.
0: The cast said that they half the time didn't understand what the hell the screenplay was talking about. <laughs> they knew vaguely, well, you know, that it had to do with the wormhole and the ship going to another dimension and bringing something back or being sentient. And beyond that, they were like, this is fun.
1: Like, this is a fun movie to make? Well,
0: I mean, there was a lot involved. There was all kinds of the pyrotechnics and wires and them going nuts and stuff. I'm sure that it was hard work, but, yeah, for the most part, I think they had fun.
1: So, Brian watched this with me, mostly because I was too scared to watch it by myself. Because this movie traumatized me in high school, or just shortly thereafter. And I've carried that trauma with me for, like, years And always referred to Event Horizon as being the scariest movie I've ever seen and will never watch again. And then you suggested it and you were like, let's, like all casually flippantly like, oh, Event Horizon. And I was like, um, (laughs) no. So I convinced Brian to watch it with me because I refused to watch it by myself. And he's like, what's it about? And apparently I said too much because I was like, it's this sh- rescue mission and the ship folds time in order to jump far distances. And in between the fold or in the wormhole, they, the ship goes through hell and comes out possessed. And then he was like all disappointed because I like gave away too much. Uh huh. But doesn't Dr. Weir explain that fairly early on?
0: Yes, except for the hell part, because they have to construct what's happening. First, they all have their little visions and and the weirdness, and then they all kind of get together. I saw a thing, too. I saw a thing, too. And then they realize that the ship is manifesting these things, and it must have been as a result of its weird seven-year
1: absence. Is that what happens? Does the Event Horizon ship hang out in hell for seven years?
0: That, at least, is the assertion that it went to hell or a different dimension, as I think Jason Isaacs says, for an indeterminate amount of time, and on Earth, it was gone for seven years and then suddenly reappeared. In fact, Weir's spacecraft that he designed and and had a vested interest in finding out what the hell happened to it and its crew. And thankfully, <laughs> when it went through all that nonsense, then somebody had the foresight to hit record so that we could see what happened to the crew.
1: Oh, when they're actually in hell and they're like eating, like someone's eating their own hand?
0: That you, That's what you took from hell? That was the, the one that stuck with you? Because there was a lot going on in hell, let me tell you. (laughs) So this movie obviously is shot and the the executives at Fox are a little bit distracted. They've got other stuff going on in 1997. And they're watching dailies and they're like, ah, it's fine. He's fine. It's it's fine. And the second (laughs) second unit went and directed hell. And then Paul Anderson, the director, believes they stopped watching the dailies (laughs) and didn't see hell until it was cut in. (laughs) And it's ridiculous. And legend has it, and I can't substantiate this, that they were ho- like people passed out. <laughs> this is so ridiculous. <laughs> and this, of course, is before their mandated cuts. And he took something like 30 minutes out, not all of which, but a lot of which was hell footage.
1: Oh, there was more hell?
0: Oh, way more hell.
1: What did you take away from Hell.
0: I'm going to argue that the noises on the recorder uh, when they were trying to discern the Latin initially and then ultimately the video. But the video is kind of like the ring, like random images are happening and you can tell it's horrifying. But it's but I still think this is the scariest part of the movie, in particular, the audio when when you're not really sure what's happening. But it's so terrifying, like scary audio goes a long way. But I know what happened, what really happened in hell, like in the making of the movie. What happened? Paul Anderson said, if you're going to go to hell, you can't half-ass it. you got to go to hell. So they had porn stars on set, and (gasps) there was sodomy with iron bars, and the hand (sighs) thing, apparently. And just like the most, they went all out. And this must have been the most insane movie set ever for a major studio motion picture. Can you imagine? And so they put it all together. It's brief flashes, and it's all this stuff happening.
1: When it goes all like, Brian was like, what was that? Was that an orgy? (laughs) <laughs> like, I think we picked up at least subconsciously on the porn star thing
0: Yeah, like I don't know how, how down the porn stars got But that is the legend, that there were actual porn stars brought in Because they didn't they didn't want to pull any punches
1: Okay, so Paul W.S. Anderson, no relation to PT?
0: No relation Paul W.S. Anderson is really primarily known these days for Resident Evils A lot of them, with his wife, Milyovovich
1: He also did Mortal Kombat.
0: Yep, which we discussed the remake of, which I didn't actually see, but which I think carries over because this event horizon would have, I think, benefited from a full orchestral score to really make it moody. Like we talked about the sound component being horrifying and if they had had the right music. But no, we went for the old guard Mortal Kombat electropop.
1: The whole um, opening sequence is really distracting. Right. They go straight from the Paramount logo into space, and then it—I don't know if I would call it electropop, but the very aggressive music kicks in.
0: <laughs> yes, and not even during the fight scenes.
1: And then were all of those credits getting sucked into the black hole? Is that what that graphic effect was supposed to communicate?
0: Probably. Any way they could spend money on terrible CG.
1: Yeah, that CG in the opening shot is pretty bad. Why is Sam Neill all, to- like, a Hellraiser cut up?
0: He went through hell. He was in he was in the, the hell orgy, the gorgie. Win. I don't know.
1: He pokes out his eyeballs. Yeah,
0: we have to know that he's been through the ship's version of hell or whatever. Or he went through this transformation. He's got to look like the people who went through hell.
1: Okay, so scientifically accurate?
0: Who knows? I mean, the whole point is we have no idea what happens inside a black hole.
1: Just like we have no idea what happens on the other side of life?
0: Right. Well, I mean, I think I do, but whatever.
1: Could Justin really have survived that airlock incident? Or could Cooper really have jetpacked back to the ship?
0: <laughs> well, I mean, if you go all Sam Jackson,
1: you're like, "Yeah, come, motherfucker.
0: Like you're probably gonna be able to achieve anything. <laughs> There's a similar movie that was probably done better, uh, Danny Boyle's Sunshine, where they also attempted a non-suited space walk of sorts or an emergency rescue thing. And temperatures are 200 degrees below zero or something. It's absurd.
1: Absurdly cold. You would flash freeze.
0: Obviously, any oxygen or anything in your entire body is nullified. And that's why you said push the air out of your lungs. Um I'm, I'm guessing he's blind, judging by all the spraying blood. And then you'll notice we never saw a baby bear after that at all. He's tore up and he's in his little stasis in his like cryo chamber. He's alive, but uh, he's not pretty. And Cooper? I mean, Cooper made it in okay. He survived. Could he have done it? I mean, he had to pull a a Martian return, compromising the air tanks or whatever, but sure. I mean, it's all kind of science fiction.
1: Aren't you glad that Cooper survives, though? Yeah.
0: He's got personality, and personality goes a long way.
1: (sighs) I mean, personality is almost all you got in deep space. Yep. But it seemed a fitting end for Captain Miller. Even though, to your earlier point, he's not exactly set up as the hero of our story.
0: But inevitably, when this movie descends into fighting and blood and stuff and explosions and fireballs, it feels a little bit rushed. While it may have been fitting for his character, who was bound and determined to save as many of the crew as possible, he felt personally responsible. I still felt like his death was kind of anticlimactic. It wasn't like Bruce Willis-style sacrifice a la Armageddon. Spoiler, sorry.
1: Which was noble because of his daughter.
0: I'm saying they made it a big thing. And we got the significance of his sacrifice. And Miller was just, like, fighting. And then, wah, he's gone.
1: No, there's a moment where Miller sees, like, his fate. When one of the other dudes, uh, I think it's it's DJ... He rips open the little pouch and he sees the timer with four seconds left on it. And all you see is just like the, the flash of recognition that he has four seconds to live. Right. There's definitely a moment with Miller when he's in the chamber with the core. He knows this is his only option is to destroy not only the ship and Weir, but also himself.
0: Right. And I think it was fitting, as you said, for his character. I think Lawrence Fishburne, his best role is this authoritative commander of whatever he happens to be commanding.
1: So it sounds like my experience was similar to Kelly's in that Event Horizon wasn't nearly as scary seeing it for a second time and as an adult. I definitely felt much farther removed from the ultimate gripping horror that it was the first time watching this film.
0: Yeah, maybe some of it comes from, as happened with Brian, the surprise or the not knowing. I mean, you don't want to have the Haunted House movie laid out for you, I guess. But if you do, if you've been through that Haunted House before, certainly has less impact. The jump scares, of which there was no shortage in this movie, aren't quite as intense, even though you haven't seen it, apparently, in the last 24 years. And this is what I've been trying to push for the last seven plus years with Kelly, is that no movie out there, especially well-made horror movies, we're not talking about torture porn like Saw, but any serious horror movie is not going to be nearly as scary as your childhood memory.
1: (laughs) Like it builds up this reputation over time.
0: Yeah, it just fills in the blanks and you definitely remember. I think Kelly said there were a couple things that she distinctly remembers that weren't in this movie.
1: What does Event Horizon do for the science fiction and horror genres?
0: I think it was meant for popular audiences. It was alien for the generation almost 20 years later, looking to be highbrow. But, I mean, I don't know that it moved the needle a tremendous amount. It did develop a cult following, but still critically trashed, a commercial failure. People remember it because it went for broke. Like, you know, if you're going to go to hell, go to hell. And I think that Paul W.S. Anderson, he gets a little bit of scorn from me because his movies are so cheesy. And he at least tried. He's proud of this movie, and he acknowledges some of its shortcomings. So I'm not sure that it did anything for anybody except all those kids who watched it way before they should. I heard a lot of Q&A questions. Yeah, I was watching this movie when I was like eight. And Paul, Paul Anderson's like, well done. And he's like, yeah, this one traumatized me and I revisited it, you know. So it holds that cachet. It was an accessible movie for kids who shouldn't be watching this kind of movie. Seems like a guilty pleasure.
1: So basically, he, it sounds like he caused a lot of trauma for a young audience, but also for the studio. Is it true that this was a $60 million movie that made $26 billion at the box office? Yeah,
0: half the budget. But this is the studio's own fault. Not paying attention. Don't have their eye on the ball. Well, this is actually paired, strangely, with another movie about a disaster on a ship in 1997.
1: Yeah. And Paramount had some skin in that game, too. The Titanic game. I feel so, like all studios Fo- had a stake yeah. in that at some point.
0: Right. Well, Fox largely in Paramount for some financing. Paul Anderson, the story goes that he was going to make Soldier, the movie that he ultimately made next with Kurt Russell. And Kurt Russell needed a year to get in shape. And so he's like, great. And Anderson pulled a Zemeckis when he had to wait for Tom Hanks to lose a bunch of weight for Castaway. He went and made a little horror movie called What Lies Beneath. So he's like, oh, um, that other movie I wanted to make, that Event Horizon thing, we can knock that out in a year, right? And so he went for it, and then Fox had Titanic, with its own problems at the time, move out of the summer 97 spot and move to Christmas. And they were like, ooh, we could put a blockbuster in there. So they pushed Event Horizon to August of 97 and at the time, people assumed the executives that Titanic wasn't going to bear its weight. That it wasn't going to be successful for that massive inflated budget and the delays and everything. So they wanted to cut their losses, kind of, and and install what they considered to be something with big box office potential. So, we had this super intense horror flick that had to be made really quickly. I think he was given like four weeks to shoot it or something absurd. Then they didn't promote it at all i think six weeks before it it was it's released the public had never heard of event horizon and then they dropped a horror movie which was better suited for the fall in the middle of summer and people were like what (laughs) critics hated it they still hate it it made like half its budget and then titanic became titanic a lot of good intentions but even paul anderson is like i would have done stuff different or i wish we had a couple more weeks (laughs)
1: <laughs> I don't know if that would have made a difference. But now that you've given me so much context in this film, I'm thinking maybe 97, and 98 were just very impressionable years. I was very impressionable during those years. I mean, it's probably not a coincidence like that, that the scariest movie and that my favorite movie came out in the same year. <laughs>
0: right. They were both affecting. This one you just hated yeah. and the other one you loved.
1: Exactly. So it probably had as much to do with me as this film. But then I felt all validated that Kelly was too afraid to watch this film.
0: Can I also say that way more people died in Titanic? Hmm. Way more.
1: Yeah, but it's it's less personal, more like a natural. I mean, not a nat- it was a disaster or whatever, but it's not like the ship was trying to kill them.
0: Because it was more serious and didn't have a rock soundtrack.
1: Event Horizon, at least on the surface, feels like it's trying to be a serious film.
0: I think so, too. But then uh, when studios get involved and they cut a lot of the more cerebral elements and you get jump scares and cheesy elements like the meat grinder tunnel thing, which was quite literally just taken from the Universal Studios tram ride.
1: What's what's the deal with the like the obscenely long corridor thing?
0: Right. It's for terror. It's so you can outrun the fireball.
1: <laughs> Wait, so I don't get it. Do you like this film at all?
0: I appreciated how gopher broke it was, but this film I saw in the theater, and then really it existed as a footnote for me to be like, hey, if you ever want to freak Iris out, make Event Horizon the Halloween movie of choice. Or for Kelly, I had it in my back pocket because I love her, and I set up seven years of movies in preparation for this, the culminating moment in her horror movie Reeducation.
1: But you personally... Nah, yeah,
0: I mean, it's not the best horror movie. You can see the obvious alien influence. The Shining is all over the place. I mean, uh, Billy, he falls for the ghost boobs, just like The Shining. It's kind of silly, a <laughs> little bit gratuitous. Um, why did Weir get his eyeballs back after he went all Hellraiser?
1: He didn't. They were like sewn shut.
0: No, he had eyes when he came back out of the fire and he was all cut up. At first, he was like, what did you do to yourself? And he took out his eyes because where, we, where we're going, we don't need eyes. But then when he showed up all naked and cut up, he had eyeballs again.
1: Yeah, he was wearing some kind of weird banana hammock thing, too.
0: And we, we discussed that, actually. <laughs> Kelly said, would it have been creepier if she weren't wearing underwear? Like, was it dumb that Ghost Boobs was wearing underwear?
1: Oh, she was wearing underwear?
0: I guess boobs you can get behind, but there was no genitalia.
1: On either of them. Yeah,
0: he had been neutered.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the uh, all the horrors and the unpredictability. I feel like
0: the ship was kind of a drama queen. Like, it wanted to be theatrical. Like, when DJ gets eviscerated, and then he gets put on, like, Hannibal Lecter display, and there's, like, entrails and stuff.
1: Are you talking about when he's, like, upside down and uh, flayed? Right, And like, wires entrails all poured out on the table?
0: Right. Because I think if you're making a horror movie, when in doubt, you flash to grody images.
1: How come there wasn't an Event Horizon 2?
0: Well, of course it tanked and it wasn't critically well received. Even after a critical reassessment, right now it stands at like 23% or something. On Rotten Tomatoes, but investigating as a prequel the original mission of the Event Horizon that ended in such catastrophe, that could be a thing. I just don't know that uh, people have moved on and who's really clamoring for the sequel. I guess there are some diehard fans, but uh, Event Horizon is the weird curiosity of 97. Oh, yeah. Remember that one? That was freaky. So anyway.
1: <laughs> All right. I'm just trying to understand why you wanted so badly to to review this other than just to further traumatize me.
0: No, there are a couple reasons. One, we need some good Halloween fare, and this seems like a movie that's not entirely obvious that not everyone regards as classic horror, but has some of the tropes, has some of the alien, which I personally consider horror. Uh, the Shining, for sure, haunted house movies in general. I like this cast. But really, I was pitching it because I needed to get Kelly to watch it, to, to overcome that fear. And the easiest way to do that is to be like, oh, yeah, so we're going to record. And so I have to watch that and convince her to do it. And uh, for our listeners, Kelly refused to watch Event Horizon. In fact, until you did.
1: By the way, totally lied about having survived the curse. Well,
0: you were traumatized?
1: <laughs> I mean, no, I'm, I've survived until now, but I hadn't watched it when I texted you. Because you told me that I had to text, I had to give you some kind of proof so that she would watch it. I was just giving you a little head start, that's all. So how much of your judgment of a horror movie has to do with its suitability for a Halloween party theme?
0: Not at all anymore. The Halloween movies had to be balanced enough so that they were fun. And also you could go in the pirate bar and eat some cereal or whatever. And it wouldn't be like the end of the world. You did not They didn't have to be watchers. Hopefully people saw them, had seen them before, so they could be classics. Because newer movies that you really want people to be invested in, that's not fun if you're just kind of sitting there during a Halloween party. And I learned that lesson from The Evil Dead, which was too intense. And then there were some of the boring ones. I think one year it was the birds and we all sat in stony faced silence.
1: (laughs) I miss your Halloween parties. I think you should resurrect those.
0: Everyone says as much. I need a place. I need a large enough room to accommodate the people. And then I need it to have the entire month of October off to focus on nothing but the party. So I'm equal opportunity horror, obviously, the, the classics I love more, the shocking stuff I don't really care about or care for, but it has to be it has to be good, it has to be good. And I'm not sure that Event Horizon qualifies as good. It's got some cool elements and it tries really hard and in particular, I think the set was great as much as the, the unnecessary spikiness was kind of dumb.
1: Production design was kick ass.
0: There were some unnecessary spikes. Like, why does it have to be spiky in here? I don't know. The uh, the core was originally just like a black orb, like a like a void. Isn't
1: that the same design from Contact?
0: Yeah. Also 97. Apparently the, uh, the three rotating rings is the signature for creating wormholes.
1: So are you stepping on my review and saying that Event Horizon isn't good? Because I might have to beg to differ.
0: Right. Well, you have really. Wow. Just like, do I remember it fondly? No, I remember it as a curiosity. And I also haven't seen it in 24 years.
1: But it doesn't clear the bar. Just get to say it. You say it. I'm going to give Event Horizon a good Man, look who turned it around. <laughs> for all of, the, for all of the, the horror I've harbored for 24 years, it wasn't as scary, and I'm proud to say that, like I've come through something. But it lived up to the trauma in other ways. It lived up to its reputation in other ways.
0: There were certainly horrifying elements, but I think that the retrieval of Baby Bear was the tensest scene. I don't know that I was really scared. I feel like what this movie was missing was a sense of dread. I didn't feel their fear except from their reactions to obviously horrifying things happening when they're directly confronted by something. Like it didn't linger too much on the jump scares, not enough of the dread that made Alien and The Shining classics. But I also gave an all right clearing the bar rating to The Fog. So maybe Event Horizon is my Godzilla versus Kong. Uh Uh-oh. It comes with much history that I've known about this property. I wasn't mad at it. I think it was more about the intention than the execution.
1: So I guess that's it. An all right from Wes, a good from Iris on this Halloween pick, 1997's Event Horizon available now on HBO Max. Cold following for this one. I'd like to hear from someone who loves Event Horizon, 818-835-0473. I mean, maybe you're normal, right? Maybe you can be normal and love Event Horizon. We also have an email address. It's movies at gmail.com. Look at that. You have direct lines to the co-hosts of your favorite movie review podcast or whatever movies. Thank you for listening and happy Halloween. Hi, I'm Vasa Cadet, host of her Extraordinary Life by Design podcast, where we celebrate women who are shaping their lives one extraordinary day at a time. I speak with women from all over the world about what they do and how they are passionately pursuing their dreams and creating meaningful impacts on their communities. So come join us and learn about all there is to learn about these extraordinary women. Today is Working For Me. Do you believe that for yourself?